Good morning, again. <laughs> Take your Bible, go to Mark, or sorry, Matthew. Don't go to Mark, go to Matthew. Uh, Matthew chapter 14 is where we're going to kind of anchor in. A very familiar story, but, uh, but one that I think sets us on our way well. Matthew chapter 14. Um, I know this may surprise you all. Um, this is right, wrong, indifferent, good, bad, doesn't matter. I am not a stereotypical preacher. Thanks for the chuckles, everybody. That hurt my feelings. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if you didn't think that was, that, that makes me feel better, better actually. Um, I'm not concerned about, <laughs> and some of you, and I will, I will apologize. I do this every once again. Some of you who are like the most logical outline takers when you go to a church service, and you get in here and you're like, I think he's lost his mind. How do these things go together? Um, that's, that's, that's my normal style. Um, it's a little peek behind the curtain of how my brain actually works. Um, and, and it's going to happen again this morning as we walk through this passage. But, but even, even in typical sermon prep and classes and all that stuff, my, my, um, the professors who, who tried to teach me how to preach would just always be irritated with me. Um, so it's like, no, you're supposed to do like three points and an introduction and a conclusion and make the introduction the last thing that you write so that you, and grab their, and I usually, for my introduction, and you guys that have been here a while know this is my typical introduction. Take your Bibles, go to Matthew 14, we got work to do, let's go. Right? Um, but this morning, it was like, you know what, I have an introduction, and, and I'm going to apologize to one of my children up front because I did not ask their permission ahead of time, which means I owe her lunch. That's the way this works, so you can blame mom. This was her idea to tell the story. <laughs> it goes with this. Okay, let, me, let, me, let me introduce you to the main theme of the entire morning, and it's this. The biggest thing that God is doing in your life is teaching you to trust him. You're going to hear that about 100 times this morning. The biggest thing that God is doing in your life is teaching you to trust him. We, uh, my in-laws uh, have a, well, they now live there in um, uh, northern Pennsylvania, a house, a mountain house, and they've got a little pond that's in the backyard, and they built a, a dock that goes out into the pond. You can fish off it, but we, we would go up with the kids when they were little, particularly, and we would swim. And it was, it was probably about, you know, it's about this far from the, the dock to the water, and so, you know, you could pretend like you were doing, like, Olympic-style diving. You never really were. You wouldn't hit the bottom because it was super deep right there. And it was kind of a rite of passage for all of my kids to take that first jump. And so we would go up for vacation, and, and, I, would, I, would, and I would be the one sacrificing, of course, because I would go to the bottom of the dock, and I'd be standing in the little bit of a sludgy, nasty, gross bottom of pond, which was always delightful. The kid would be suited up in this giant life preserver, and whenever they decided to actually jump... I was destroyed in the water by this flailing body that was terrified because they had no idea what was to come. Now, you get through, we have our first three kids, bam, bloop, 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 okay? There you go, three kids. That fourth one, though, who I love dearly, was terrified. And she is suited up with, like, this huge life preserver. And, and she would, she was this little munchkin, and all the other kids would be floating in the water. They're like, come on, Audrey, you can do it. This would be great. And she's just like, I can't. And then literally, knees shaking. Everything quivering. Gets to the edge. 
and walks away. And I don't want to exaggerate, so I will cut it in half of how long I think it actually was for a half an hour. And, and, and I'm a very patient person. <laughs> it's like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. But what I didn't realize is my wife's patience had run out long before mine did. So Audrey makes one more approach to the end. This is going to be it. And she starts the shaking. And she starts the quivering and the crying. And Stephanie comes behind her, grabs the life jacket, picks her up by it, hangs her over and goes, bloosh. <laughs> That's right. See, I told you I love that woman. But here's the amazing thing. You know what happens next? Audrey paddles after an hour and a half. You know those paddles? They can't really paddle. They get a little paddle, paddle, paddle. Gets the stairs, goes up, runs to the edge, goes, Mom, do it again! <laughs> because what had happened was all of her fears didn't occur, right? Everything she had imagined in her brain and in that little brain, who knows what horrible end and demise that she had actually met in her imagination. But none of those things happened. And, and in reality, the most enjoyable thing she had was not her jumping off the edge. It was mom picking her up and, mom, come on, this is great. So what happened is it's a little bit of a microcosm of what it is that God's trying to teach you. The biggest thing that God is doing in your life right now is teaching you to trust him. And I think too often, I know too often, we've learned the lesson before. But right now, we're just skinny little kids having our knees knocked together. The story is, again, one of the most familiar stories in the Gospels, Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 22. Matthew 14, starting at verse 22. I'm just going to read the first couple of verses and kind of work our way through the story. It says, Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. Now, just a little context. What had just happened was Jesus was teaching this multitude of people and realized that they were, in fact, very hungry. And so he, they have no food. So the little boy brings us five loaves, two fish, and Jesus performs this miracle. He feeds 5,000 people, 5,000 men. That doesn't count women and children. So there was a, a great deal more than that there. And, and now the crowd is amazed and in wonder. The disciples are amazed and in wonder. And Jesus culminates that event by saying, okay, disciples, get in the boat, go to the other side of the lake. I'll be there eventually. You just go. I'll get the people to go home. Verse 23, after dismissing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. Meanwhile, the boat was already some distance from land, battered by the waves because the wind was against them. Now, so now, notice the picture. So Jesus says, guys, get in the boat, go to the other side, I'll be over there, I'll meet you over there. <clears throat> Jesus goes to the top of the mountain to pray. The disciples get in the boat and they start going. And, and on the sea gallop, there's this, this storm that comes in. And that happens all the time over there, having the privilege of being there back in February, being able to visualize this now. This, this storm just sweeps in uh, off the Golan Heights across the, the Sea of Galilee. And now it may not have been like, okay, we're going to die. But what it did do was this. It made it really difficult to row your boat against the wind and against the waves that were crashing onto them. And they had to be exhausted already. How do you feel after a long day of feeding 5,000 people? I had to be tired. 
And here they are, there's rowing, it's like all this dumb storm. And here's the thing that I want you to know. The biggest thing that God is doing in your life is teaching you how to trust him, even in great difficulty. Why were the disciples in the boat at that time? Jesus sent them. What struck them while they were trying to cross the water? A storm. Who sent them into the storm? That's an uncomfortable answer. It's Jesus. But God, but, 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 uh, God doesn't want us in storms. Right? God, God wants to lead us around difficulty, not into difficulty. Okay, well, let me run through a list for you. Genesis 22, Abraham, as he stands over his child Isaac to sacrifice him, he might disagree with that thinking. Moses, as he leads the children of Israel out of, 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 of Egypt and stands up against the Red Sea in Exodus chapter 12, probably would have a different opinion about, about that. Daniel's three friends, as they're forced into the fiery furnace, might think, well, maybe God does have a plan in this. In Mark chapter 6, John the Baptist, who is beheaded for standing for what is right. Wait, God doesn't want you to go through difficulties? Acts chapter 6, Stephen is stoned to death for taking his stand. But God, but God wants to lead us around difficulties and around trials, right? Well, let me, let me put this in front of you. This is one of our friends. His name is Paul. He says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once. I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I have spent a night and a day in the open sea. By the way, that wasn't on a cruise. Okay. On frequent journeys, I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers among false brothers. You get the point yet. Toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food and without clothing. Not to mention the worst of all, this daily pressure. I had to take care of the church. And he's being facetious, and he actually says that in, in 2 Corinthians. He, he makes the comment to them, I'm going to play the fool for a moment. But what he does is he runs through a list of the things he's been through. See, we're guilty of convincing ourselves that God's greatest desire for us is comfort. We're often guilty of thinking that God needs to lead us around the storm. And the problem is we buy into that, whether consciously or subconsciously, because we haven't spent any time thinking about it. And then when the storm comes, some of them, some of them are unthinkable, those storms, right? We get weak in the knees. We lose our hope, we lose our faith, because when we land in the middle of a storm, our thinking drives us to think that God has somehow failed us. So I don't know, what's your storm right now? Are you raising a difficult child? A strong personality? Are you you dealing with a prodigal child who's run not just from the faith, but from you? Are you in a marriage crisis? Has your job been interrupted for some reason or another? You have unexpected and severe health diagnosis that popped up at your last appointment. Financial difficulty, maybe? huge tragedy in your life? 
Has God failed you? No. No, God's not failed you. Your view of who God is and how he acts has failed you. God hasn't. Because the biggest thing that God is doing in your life is teaching you to trust him. And so what that means is if you need to be in a storm to learn that, he's going to allow you to be in the storm. But... Prophet Isaiah says, this is what the Lord says, the one who created you, Jacob, and the one who formed you, O Israel. Don't fear, I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. The rivers won't overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you'll not be scorched. The flame will not burn you. Don't fear, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east, and I will gather you from the west. And I, 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 I'm just going to be honest, because it's probably a good thing to do in my position. <laughs> I, I want a Savior that leads me around the storms, right? I want a Savior to build a bridge over that, that really raging river. But he often takes us through the waters to show us that his grace and his strength and his authority is far deeper than the water. He allows us to be in the middle of the fiery furnace so that we will understand that his presence is stronger than any fire, no matter how hot. He wants me to know I can trust him in and through every situation. The biggest thing God's doing in your life is teaching you to trust him when things are difficult. The biggest thing that God is trying to do in your life is teach you to trust him when you're afraid. Look at verse 25. So in the middle of the storm, in the middle of trying to row against the wind, verse 25, Jesus then came toward them, walking on the sea very early in the morning. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And they cried out in fear. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them, have courage, it is I, don't be afraid. So Jesus walks towards them, so, so he sends the guys out in the boat. Okay, there's, there's something that's funny about this. Uh, there's a lot of depth I could get into, but I don't have time for. A parallel passage to this is found in Mark chapter 6, but it's interesting. The, the parallel passage doesn't actually include what happens next with Peter on the water. It just includes this storm and Jesus walking on the water towards them. And Mark chapter 6 tells us that when Jesus left the mountaintop after he's praying and the guys are out rowing in the storm, not getting anywhere, he walked out on the sea and, and it says in Mark 6 his intention was to pass them by. Which is awesome. Because what you have happening is Jesus is like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend my time praying. All right, all right, amen. Thanks, Father. I love you. Okay, so we're the boys. <laughs> oh. And he's like, doot, 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 cross the water. Last one to the other side, buys breakfast. And he's on his way. Like, doot, doot, doot. He's gone, right? It says really early in the morning. So this probably happened around 4 o'clock in the morning. And they look off the bow, and he's close enough to them that they are terrified when they see him. And they cry out in fear. They think they saw a ghost, we're told. Now, there was a uh, mythological uh, understanding and, and, and belief at this time that just before a sailor drowned, he saw a ghost. How they know that, I have no idea. I mean, how do you... 
But that's, that's there. So, so when they see the ghost, and so, so maybe in their mind, it's the same thing. Like, we are going down for sure. We have no hope. And, and, and they cry out in fear. We don't get their words. We just know that what's coming out of them is marked by terror and fear. And Jesus speaks words that are familiar to them. Have courage. It's me. Don't be afraid. But it's even better than that. Because he says, have courage. And in the Greek, he says, ego I me. Which has nothing to do with Legos. Ego I me is the Greek translation of the name of God given to Moses. I am. So there Jesus stands on top of the water. They are losing their mind. This is a ghost. He says, hey, take courage. Okay, how many of you are like, I hear the voice of somebody I know walking on the water. Okay, I'm not afraid anymore. No, you're still afraid. And then he follows that up by saying, no, wait a minute. I am. In that moment, the disciples got to see with their eyes and experience in that moment the fact that while people don't walk on water, this isn't just a people. This is the Son of God, the great I am. This is the one who demonstrated all of his power in the Exodus by leading his people out of Egypt, up against the Red Sea, across the Red Sea on dry ground while the, the waves stacked up on top of themselves. This is the great I am who led them through the wilderness with the, the fiery pillar and the smoke. This is the great I am who caused manna to appear on the ground every morning so that they could be provided for. This is the great I am who protected them all along the way, leading them right up to the promised land. This is the great I am. And there he is standing on top of the water. And I am freaking out. He says, what I want you to do In your greatest fear, trust me. What fears do you have? There's all, and I'm not, you know me, I'm not talking political. But there's all kinds of conversation about recession and finances and investments and how are these things going to go and what am I going to do and how much... Am I going to be able to retire now? How, how do all these things fit in? What's your greatest fear? I haven't heard, I haven't heard, I haven't heard from my kid for a while. What's your greatest fear? The biggest thing that God is trying to do in your life right now is to teach you to trust Him. It's me, it's I am. Don't be afraid. Biggest thing that God's doing in your life is teaching you to trust him by calling you out of your comfort zone. Let's continue the story. So he stands before them and says, don't freak out, it's me, don't be afraid. And Peter, being Peter, because I love Peter, is first to speak up. And Peter does do that. Peter's the first, the last, the most often... <laughs> That's why Peter and I are going to fight in heaven, <laughs> and then we'll be best buds. 
Lord, if it's you, Peter answered him, then (laughs) command me to come out on the water. Jesus said, come. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. I just want to stop there. Jesus calls Peter out of the boat. The storm is still going. Nothing has stopped the waves or the wind. Jesus says, you you want in? Now come on. And Peter climbs out of the boat. I want you to feel that. What's that first step feel like? (laughs) Right? Feel that. All right, I, I... I've stepped out of boats before. I know what happens next. Okay, uh, it, it's, it's probably the same feeling. I don't know if any of you had the joy and the privilege. I have yet to. I will one day. Skydiving. Oh, that first step has got to be, that's a doozy. That's, I mean, that's one of those like, oh, I mean, you can feel it, right? You feel it? That first step is like, oh, it's that uh, zip lines. I don't know if you've been on those, those land trolleys or zip lines. It's just like, all right, I got to step off this thing. Here we go. Ah! and then they disappear into the woods. It's my favorite picture ever is watching this kid. Sorry, this is completely random. Um, worked at a camp up in, in Pennsylvania, and uh, this kid, it took us forever to get him to go. And he was just like, I just want, I, I'm not sure if I'm ready yet. I'm not sure if I'm ready yet. And so the guy's like, you're ready. And actually, we're not supposed to push them, so we didn't push them. We just happened to turn around. Um, the swing of the hips. And the kid took off, and all you can hear is he's disappearing into the trees. as I said I wasn't ready. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> But it's that step, right? It's that, ah, don't know if I can do that step. Feel that. Okay, feel, feel, feel that. Feel that feeling as you stand outside your boss's door just before you knock on it to tell him that you're resigning. Oh. You get that feeling? Just before you punch the last number on that phone number when you've got to have an uncomfortable conversation. Feel that sitting there, whenever you, wherever you were, whenever it was, that, that everything came to a head and you felt the full weight of the fact that all of your attempts to get it right, all of your strategy, all of your thinking, all of your planning, all of your precision that was going to turn your life around had all failed. And you realized that you can't trust in church, you can't trust in your past, you can't trust in your family, you can't trust in your efforts, but only Jesus. He's the only one you can trust in to rescue you. That moment, a terrifying and exhilarating and overwhelming feeling. Jesus is like, Peter, come on. I want you to feel that. I want you to take that first step. I want you to, to walk towards me. Jesus wanted Peter to get to the place where, where Jesus was the only one that Peter could hold on to. So, so get out of the boat. Jesus wants you in a place where he is the only one you can hold on to. Get out of the boat. It's so comfortable in the boat, though, isn't it? Even if it's rocking a little, you're like, at least I know I'm on top of the water. But if I step out, how do you need to step out? Do you need to talk to your coworkers about Jesus? Do you you need to get involved in the care and the provision for the poor in your community? Do you, do you need to commit to the church that you've attended forever and just stayed on the outside? Do you need to obey Jesus and, and get baptized? 
Do you need to use your abilities and gifts to teach young people on Sunday mornings? Do, do you need to use your particular patience and ability to care by jumping into the nursery rotation for all of these precious and cute babies? <laughs> there's, there's a passage where Paul talks about having to confront Peter. He says, I withstood him to his face. That happened a few times to me in the last few weeks. Newborns are still ugly, but babies are adorable. Come on. All right. No, but are, are, you, are you going to allow yourself to become vulnerable and to get into a small group, a community group? Are you going to challenge your notion that you've got this all figured out and take a class or two? The biggest thing that God is doing in your life is teaching you to trust him when you're not in your comfort zone. The story doesn't end there. Peter wishes it does. Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come on. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him, and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? See, for a lot of us in this room, you've already taken a step out of the boat. The problem is that the distractions or the fears or the concerns that are surrounding you have kept you from finishing your journey to Jesus. So in fact, some of us have tried to dive back into the boat. And here, one of the coldest rebukes in Scripture happens right here, right? Peter, Peter starts going under. Why? Well, it, it tells us. It tells us why, doesn't it? When he saw the strength of the wind, Peter starts going under because he stopped looking at Jesus and his strength and instead began looking at all the reasons he should be going underwater. So he, he got scared. He, he stopped looking at who he was walking to and started looking at what he had to walk through to get there. And down he goes. And, and let me tell you, there are times for quick prayers, right? Just before Thanksgiving, quick prayer. And if you're starting to sink into the waves, Lord, save me. And then Jesus responds, as you have little faith. Oh, <laughs> that hurts. But is it true? And little, he's the one guy that asked to get out of the boat. He's the one guy who took that step over the edge. He's the only one that walked on the water, albeit just for a little bit. What, what was that actually little? His faith was little? Well, what Jesus is talking about here is not intensity. He's talking about duration. And unfortunately, I think that that is an indictment for all of us at times. I can start off like fire and gangbusters. I'm like, yeah, we got this. Let's do this. And then over time, just. What you and I need to do is put our eyes back on the things and the one we were looking at when we first made the decision to get out of the boat. Leg over the side of the boat, toes in the water. This makes absolutely no sense. 
but I know you're on the water and you called me and I see you and I am walking towards you. I'm walking towards you. So it's the exact same risk to take the next step towards Jesus as it was to throw my leg over the boat to get in the water. Because you need to have the exact same focus. You need to have your eyes fixed on Jesus, not on all the other things that bring fear, not all the other things that can overthrow you, not all the other what ifs and, oh, I don't know if about that and I'm not sure. No, you fix your eyes on Jesus and you step out of your comfort zone and get out of the boat. Where do you need to step out of the boat? Some of you need to forgive that person. Some of you need to reclaim the forgiveness of God after you've failed yet again. Hey, so just, and I feel led to say this, I had this conversation a few times this week. So I think I'm going to say this, because I think that's what God wants me to do. Um, scripture says the, the righteous man falls how many times? Seven. That's a lot. I've fallen far more than seven times, though. How about you? Yeah. What, what, what the author of Scripture is doing in that moment is giving us a, a picture in the language. It's perfection, totality. And so what that verse is saying, the righteous man has fallen and fallen and fallen and fallen. In fact, that is what his name is known as. That's what his marked characteristic is, is the one who continues to fall. But when you know who Jesus is and what the gospel is, you understand that your salvation isn't based on the fact that you made it through today without falling. Your salvation is based on the fact that Jesus Christ died in your place. And that when you stand before him, (laughs) it's his righteousness that's on your account, not yours. Get up. And and my children can tell you this. This is a dad moment. Uh Uh-oh. Dad is not exactly the most caring one in the house. Get up. Suck it up. Get over it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, more and more and more. Now get up. You screwed up. Now own it and enjoy the the washing that is available to you through Jesus Christ. Step out of your comfort zone of just falling in on yourself like, woo is me. Anybody looking? Woo is me. I fell again. Anybody? Anybody? I can't believe this. Knock it off. Get up. Embrace the forgiveness that is offered and wash in that mercy that's yours. Maybe you need to step out and be willing to endure some measure of teasing as you speak of Jesus at work, at home, at school. Maybe you need to deal with your addiction, even if it's a culturally acceptable addiction, like workaholism. Or technology. Maybe you need to embrace more fully the principle of sacrifice and generosity. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I commit to you as a church to let you know what it is that I think God's leading me to risk. 
At this time, I still don't know what it is. <laughs> okay, I'll be honest. There's a few things I'm afraid it might be. Just being honest, right? Join me in that. For our church, there's some things that we, I think we need to consider that from the outside, we would look dumb. But maybe God's calling us to that. Are we willing to do it? Are you willing to do it? And, and, and again, a ministry fair is certainly not the absolute application of this, but it's part of it. So this morning, we're going to do something different. I'm going to pray in just a second, and then I'm going to dismiss you. And as you go, first and foremost, eyes up here, get your kids. <laughs> I won't hear the end of it if you don't go get your kids. Just for the record, I said it, Jen, I said it. Um, get your kids. But then out there along the hallway, there's a whole mess of different areas. We'd encourage you to ask questions, get information. It's not necessarily there for you to sign up, but sign up for things. There's, there's areas that we certainly need help in, and, and, and children's ministry is definitely one of them. Mops, our child care, uh, they need help with child care. Our, our connecting and, and greeting and hospitality teams, those are the awesome people who hold the doors open for you, who help you find your kids' classes, and then help you get coffee. They're getting a special reward in heaven. Why don't you join them? Maybe local outreach. Uh, we, we have two things coming up. So we have Discover Uniontown next Sunday, immediately after the service. For those of you who are new to Uniontown and, and want to get to know who we are, the leaders get together. We have lunch. I make fun of Jeff because he calls it a luncheon. We have lunch. It gives you a chance to get to know us and ask questions. That's next. Well, you can sign up for that at the end of the table. I'll be down at that end of the table. Or membership. Maybe it's like, I need to explore membership. Well, you know what? You can get some information down there. All of that to say this. Let me, let me just, just, okay. That's what you need to do. That's your assignment. I'm going to pray in a second but I'm going to pray after I read the rest of the story. Jesus helps Peter out of the water. Verse 32, they get back into the boat and the wind stops. Figures, doesn't it? Well, it's because the biggest thing that God is doing in your life isn't trying to make you comfortable. He's trying to teach you how to trust him. Then those in the boat worshipped him and said, truly, you are the son of God. That's the only right response. It's the only right response. We pray, Father, thanks. For your wonderful word, thank you for your matchless son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the working of the Holy Spirit among us as we speak, as we talk, as we think, as we plan. And God, we, we don't have all the answers. I don't have all the answers to all the struggles everybody's going through. I know there are people in this room who are feeling it right now. I pray you would give them a sense of, of, of your presence, uh, an understanding of what it means to be comforted by the Holy Spirit. And I pray in this moment they would experience even that. And then, God, I pray that every single one of us would be willing to risk everything for you and only you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. We love you guys. Have a great week. <laughs>